Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Philip Fialinger. He's the co-founder of ASX-listed online accounting platform Zero and food service marketplace Upstock. We're going to be talking to Philip about how to acquire your first customers during the validation process of starting your business, the dramatic rise of zero and tackling logistics in the food and hospitality industry, and also how to find product market fit. Please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Philip Fielinger. First question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'd say that from the beginning, it's um, always been something that didn't exist and I've had to invent it. Um, so that's true for my current job and it's true for my very first job. And so, um, you know, my, my first job was at this stealth startup in Silicon Valley um, and they were building an iPhone in 1992. And uh, and they're called General Magic and there's a, there's a documentary movie that I highly recommend everyone see. And so, I was a kid at uni and I reached out and I was, I, I designed this thing that was a, um, a phone and a tablet. Um, there was this concept for in the year 2000, what will, what kind of devices will people be using? I was, I was a student, uh, industrial design student. And then I got, got wind of this, um, company called general magic that was actually making something like that. Um, so I reached out to them <clears throat> and said, Hey, I'd love to get an internship. They weren't doing internships, but they said, hey, I love what you're working on, so let's do it. And then, you know, every other job since then, I started a digital agency. And there, when at a time when digital agencies didn't exist, um, Zero, for instance, you know, the, the, the um, role of head of design was not something that existed really in the software world at that point. And it was just something you had to invent. And my current role you know, I'm co-CEO, which at the time we founded that structure was an unusual structure. 
So it's always been inventing a role, inventing a job. That, that That's how it seems to go for me. Yeah, I see. And um, I want to talk to you about general magic because on your LinkedIn, you describe that as the most important startup that nobody has heard of. Why? So um, it was a really fascinating uh, experiment or a really fascinating startup, a really fascinating company. And so it was it actually started inside of Apple. And so this is late 80s. Um, and they were stealth within Apple. And then they spun out. They managed to be one of the only companies, I think, that ever spun out of Apple. And uh, they were working on uh, handheld devices. Um, so pocket computers, what eventually at the time became uh, known as um, PDAs. I, I forget what that even means. And then now we know them as smartphones. And so the technology, and then the, not only the technology was was you know radically new, but the team that was behind it was incredible. It was the original Macintosh team. So these are the legends, the gods of Silicon Valley: Andy Hertzfeld, Bill Atkinson, Susan Kerr. These are absolute legends. Um, and so the opportunity to work with them was amazing. And you know, the, the, the other people that I met and connected with there. So Tony Fidel, um, you know, people will know him these days as the godfather of the iPod or the iPhone. And, and he, he created Nest. He, he wrote an amazing book recently. Um, and so he and I worked together pretty closely. Megan Smith and I worked really closely. She hired me and she was, um, CTO of the United States at one point. And so, um, the founders of eBay came out of that. The founders of Web TV, the founders of amazing companies, um, came out of that and did amazing things. And the the other interesting, really interesting thing was that it was a conglomeration of um, consumer electronics companies and telecom companies and um, general computer, you know, computer companies. And uh, so Apple was involved. Um, Sony was involved and I worked closely with the Sony team and I said to them, Hey, you made the Walkman. Um, I'm not really, I was, I, I wasn't loving what the general magic team were actually building. Um, and I kept saying to the, the Sony team, look, all I want from you is a digital Walkman. So I can be able to download music anytime, anywhere, anything I want. And they were just like, okay, yeah, kind of interesting idea. And it just shooed me away. And, you know, then 10 years later, the iPod came out. Let's talk about your journey at Xero. Um, you you co-founded that company. What was the problem that you were trying to solve when you started that? And how long ago was that? Because now it's an ASX-listed company. You're not yeah. active there. Yeah. So that was 2006. And um, so the, the, the way that that happened for me was... Um, I was working at a digital agency and just kind of frustrated with clients. I, I couldn't stand working for clients. They were annoying and, and wouldn't listen. And, and, and the projects were really small. And, you know, compared to the things that I wanted to do, and I just felt like they were always undermining themselves. And so I was really itching to do something bigger and uh, more impactful. And Right around that time, uh, a friend, a couple of friends of mine started a company called Flickr, which is, uh, you know, one of the first, you know, social media platforms, the first SaaS company. And um, it re made a really big impact on me. So I decided, look, I want to do a startup. It's now possible to do a startup, you know, over the internet. And uh, so I was really frustrated with, in New Zealand, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in this startup. There weren't, there, there wasn't a startup community. There wasn't, you know, startups, um, really the, the only thing that was happening was trade me. And, you know, that was, that, that was not considered really a startup in, in the sense that we consider it today, probably. And, um, so I reached out to a guy that was blogging that, um, he was, Everything he was writing about really resonated me about, you know, his thinking around technology, about startups, about business, um, all resonated with me. And so I reached out to him and, um, and pitched him an idea I had for a startup. And so we really hit it off and we were finishing each other's sentences and it was amazing. 
And so that was Rod Drury and who, you know, we ended up co-founding Zero together. And he pitched me right back. He was like, cool, this idea sounds interesting. Let me pitch you an idea, uh, Web 2.0 accounting. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. Because it was the one thing I was really daunted by, you know, thinking about starting a, a founding a startup was the finance side. I'd, I'd worked with QuickBooks and MYOB and I'd used those in, in the agencies that I'd been working with. And they were awful. And it was just the one thing that I felt would be a real obstacle. So, um, and that was, you know, and that, that really is kind of the, the heart of why we created Zero is that these systems were obstacles and really accounting systems were created to pay taxes. And it's no wonder that people hate accounting and hate accounting software because at the end of the day, they have to pay uh, the IRD or the IRS. And um, so it's just pain all around. And we really wanted to flip that around and say, this is a business tool. This is all about focusing on business and particularly about cash flow that we, we, you know, we, after doing a bunch of customer research or, you know, market research really became obvious quite quickly that, that cash flow was the key to, um, success or failure in, in small business and in every business really, but particularly sensitive for, for small businesses. And so our software really focused on that cash flow. And then the, um, the taxes were just a byproduct. You know, we made it so that you didn't really have to do much effort to get the taxes done. And so it was, it was really uh, changing changing the orientation of the way um, accounting software is made to make it more about business. And of course, being in the cloud, what made it collaborative and networked. Um, so yeah, that that that's kind of where it all came from. Yeah, that's crazy. So I actually interviewed Rod for episode 54 of our podcast many, many, many moons ago. Uh, and I, the one thing that I learned from him was he talked about speed and how important it is wanting things done faster, wanting things done faster. I want to talk about that, but then your, your experiences there. But um, one thing he shared on that interview was the fact that he said uh, basically your first hundred customers were all blood relatives. <laughs> was, that, was that true? And if so, how did you scale from that to, to what Zero is today? Yeah, and that's the way you scale everything. You just have to start off by you know um, dragging people in off the streets and and winning you know one person at a time, another person, getting anyone, convincing anyone and uh, that that you can find. Um, to to come on board and to really uh, take the leap of faith with you, and it was it was interesting though. Like so, we and th this is kind of how I've operated um, my entire career. The the way I approach problems is by learning about customers, and so I would go interview customers, talk to customers, and through that process. So I do, you know, user testing and, and, um, analysis on, on how they're currently working. So I'd go sit with them. I'd watch what they do in a day. And just by that process of spending time with people, they get engaged with what you're working on and they, they, they want to know, okay, so what are you working on? What is it that you're going to build? And, um, and so that's, through that process of validating the idea is actually the way you get your first customers. So you're doing user testing and you're asking them, okay, we've, we've created this prototype. We'd like you to sit down and we're going to walk you through it and you give us feedback. And, um, and then, you know, that was the interesting part when we, when we made zero, we were doing some things that were pretty um, different to anything that was in the market. And so, um, we really needed to test those ideas. And so when we put it in front of people, it was a really um, tense moment because we didn't know if people were going to love it or hate it. And when they loved it, it was, it was awesome. And they said, when can I sign up? I want this right now. Um, and so you're through that process of doing customer research and doing prototyping, you're acquiring your, your first customers. And that, that's the, that was the case with uh, Zero. That's the case now with what we're doing with Upstock. You know, our very first customer was based on just researching um, the marketplace and 
the opportunity. Yeah, I see. And I'd love to talk more about Upstock, how you started it, all about that business. But before we delve in, I'd just love to go to kind of advice from all your companies that you've built and, and just advice for early stage startup founders. Can you share like at a base level, like what should the focus be on UX, even if they have limited capital? Because you talked about like that as as kind of validating prop, but like, yeah, I'd just love to hear it in a more deeper level. Yeah. So my approach and, you know, what, what I strongly advise is to dream big to, you know, so a lot of companies will start off and, and get the MVP out as quickly as possible. And then they'll, they'll incrementally improve that MVP. Um, that is, in, you know, in my experience, a real recipe for mediocrity. So you're only doing it incrementally better than what's already existing, where the, the real opportunity is, and this is so when we started Zero, I was going around and doing these customer interviews, or they weren't even customers at the time, they were prospects or, you know, people using competitive software. And, um, and both Rod and our CTO, Craig, were giving me death stares because I wasn't on the tools. I wasn't actually designing, making pretty pictures. I was out talking to people and they, they saw that as a bit of a waste of time. And, you know, so you, you mentioned Rod Speed. He was just like, why aren't you in the tools and making stuff fast, fast, fast? And so my approach is actually go slow to go fast. So I want to figure out what is the big picture? What is the ultimate, you know, wave uh, wand, magic wand solution that if you could do anything, what would you do? And start from that. And most people don't do that, which I find utterly insane. Because at the start, you you know you have complete green fields. You can do whatever you want. Um, it's free to dream, right? And most people don't take the opportunity to do that. Because once you dream, then you can see like, oh, this is the ultimate solution. This is where you know if we could make everything happen. Here's the ultimate destination. And then you can work backwards and you can say, okay we can't do that. We have to do this. What, you know, how do we get from, you know, where we are now to this point in the future? And so, and that is through small steps, but at least, you know, so when I, when I was doing those interviews, um, I would come back and I would do put up sticky notes on the wall and I would say, these are the different customer personas. These are different, you know, user types. And then these are the inputs. These are the outputs. So these are the things they're putting into the system. These are the things that they want out of the system. And as I was doing these sticky notes, then all of a sudden Rod and, and Craig were getting involved. And Craig realized, I've been doing all this work, um, creating the, the, the code base, the, the, the database structure, the schema, and it's all wrong. I have to throw it out. Like what you've just done on this wall with sticky notes is our database schema. And I have to start over again. And so that you know, taking the time to really look at the big picture, really step back, really understand what are all the moving parts and how do they relate to each other. Then you can dig down and say, okay, that's literally what we did next. We, we went around with a red sticky um, dots and we said, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We, you know, we, we have to launch in nine months. We're not doing all these things and just limit it down to what we're doing. But we know with this piece, it has to connect to all these other pieces that we're building. So we're going to architect and design it with that in mind. Yeah, crazy. And did you think that the company would be as big as it is today? We thought it was going to be an absolute train wreck or an absolute smash hit. Like it was going to be one or the other because we were going in, you know, all in, in a big way. And we were definitely making noise and, and pushing hard. So is either going to be just a, you know, land flat on our face or going to be a monster and you never know. And so, you know, it took a while for us to really realize, um, that we did have a monster on our hands and, you know, the, the, you know, I remember this one moment that it really sunk in that we're, we're onto something enormous here is, um, I was walking with my kids in our, our local mountain range and we we're you know doing a tramp through through the hills and we you know got close to these people walking in front of us 
And I overheard them saying, me, you've got to use this accounting system, zero. It's so incredible. It's completely changed my business. And just that here, overhearing that word of mouth moment and the excitement, the passion that somebody had for it and the way that they were, you know, selling it for us um, was phenomenal. And I realized, yes, we have a hit on our hands. So cool. So you've worked invested, created, been involved in so many different startups over the past 30 years. What's the most common piece of advice you find yourself sharing with founders? You know, one, one thing that, uh, came out actually. So, you know, I was at zero for about 10 years and then took some time off and, you know, worked with a bunch of companies where I was investing or I was advising them. And, the thing that, uh, you know, one of the first conversations I would have with them is, what are your values? Do you know what your values are? And it's, you know, it's become a little bit more common to do that. And when, so when we founded Zero, that was completely, you know, nobody talked about values. It just wasn't a thing. And it's become a thing. But even when I would talk to, you know, even after it became a thing, when I would talk to founders, they would say, well, that's when we get big. We need to, you know, put together our values so that we can, you know, put these, get teams aligned around kind of these big ideas. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not what values are for. Values are um, when you, again, this opportunity before you actually build anything, before you do anything, for instance, before you, you know, develop a product, like I said, you kind of dream up that ultimate solution. What is it going to be? And you have to do the same thing with your company, with your business. What kind of business do we want to build? Is it going to be a big thing that we grow massively and quickly? Is it going to be a small thing? Um, what kind of people do we want to attract to this? What kind of operation do we want to run? Do we want, you know, do we want it to be creative? Do we want it to be um, very data driven? Do we want it to be? How do we want to interact with each other? You're 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 creating the operating system for your business by defining your values. And again, so it's this opportunity to say, before we get going, how would we ultimate, how do we ultimately want to see ourselves? You know, what, what do we ultimately want to build as a business? Um, and the reason to do that up front is that it makes it really clear about who you are and what you want to do, who you want to attract into the business. And so when you're in these moments of crisis um, and you will be in hundreds, possibly thousands of moments of crisis, um, you know, every single year, uh, then having these, uh, values, these, you know, I, I consider them more principles. These are like the guiding principles of your business really helps you to shortcut. Um, you know, w w when you're in that moment of crunch, you can really already answer the question because, or, or uh, know which direction you want to go in because you've defined it. You've already laid out the, the, the rules for how you want to operate. And so that's, you know, incredibly important for when you're hiring, even more important for when you're firing. Um, it's important for when you're going for investment, like when do you go in for investment? What size of investment? How do you want to do that? How do you want to scale the business? Um, and then, you know, in our case, for instance, with Upstock, we, uh, it really helped us with our investors. We, you know, got a lot of investment interest and there was an investor that we were, we were a bit on the fence about, we weren't sure whether it was a good fit or not. And then, you know, we went to our, our, uh, principles and we were like, no, they they actually don't align with our principles. We don't think that they'll, they'll be good for our, um, you know, our culture and for our business. And so we, we turned the investor down and that, you know, we've, since learned that was a very smart move, the way that this investor has behaved with other companies. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, values is one of those things that I think people kind of brush over and, you know, I advise them to actually spend a lot of time. And I actually put together when I was doing a lot of advisory work, I put together a whole um, checklist and questionnaire about like, here are all the questions you, you, you need to ask yourself and you need to ask your team, work with your team, to really work through these things, like, you know, figure it out together because you have to align. And it's amazing how many things it brings up in 
you know, in the formation of a company where you quickly realize I was building, I thought we were, and that, that was something interesting with us when we started Zero. My template for kind of the startup that we were building was my model was um, Basecamp, or at the time was called 37 Signals. They, that was my like, you know, uh, we're going to be a lean, mean, you know, uh, building incredible software, but keep it, uh, you know, a tiny um, uh, uh, team. And, you know, Rod had the exact opposite. <laughs> you know, everything Rod does is big. Um, and so, you know, we're out of the gate. We were 20 people, you know, within a few months. And um, it was, it, as, as you mentioned, it went really, really fast and went really big quickly. Mm. So let's talk about Upstock. You started the company in 2020. Can you tell us more about, just for everyone listening, what, what it is, what motivated you to start this new company? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I was doing a bunch of advisory work for different startups and a friend of mine had a, um, soda drink company called Fox and Fizz, which in New Zealand is this iconic, um, soft drink brand. And he explained to me how he's had this really awful problem of, um, the way he does his wholesale orders. So this is with restaurants and bars and cafes. They come in at in all kinds of random ways. They come in, you know, texts in the middle of the night, phone calls in the middle of the night, emails. He literally still had to have a fax machine because one of his customers insisted on ordering by fax. And it was causing chaos in his business. Is you know, his team were really um, frustrated because a lot of the orders went missing or were, you know, the, the wrong, they gave them the wrong shipment. Um, or they completely missed an order. So, you know, an order came in and one person didn't see it or, um, you know, the text was missed and it just kind of got lost in the, in the stream of texts. And, um, it was really causing a lot of expense for his business and, and friction in the relationship with his customers. And I thought about it and I was like, well, what you, you know, what you're talking about really is e-commerce, right? Um, you know, this is the way people order from you is... It, this is a solved problem. Come on. Um, and it turns out actually that e-commerce is yes, absolutely u- ubiquitous, pervasive, um, on the B2C side for consumers. But what I was shocked, absolutely shocked to see is that on the B2B side, everything operates like it's the middle ages, literally writing on, you know, pieces of paper. So they'd have diaries, like they'd have you know, parchments and they'd have a scribe, you know, writing it down. Um, and these are hundreds of orders that they're writing down in a diary and they're using, you know, the advanced technology of highlighter pens was, I guess, as sophisticated as it got. And they would use that to color code the, um, their orders. And then they would transfer all that to a, um, spreadsheet and then transfer that to accounting software every step of the way they were making mistakes in every, you know, every time that they would transcribe something from one um, point to another, it was all manual. So it took up an enormous amount of time. So it's just insane how these companies were working. And it was, it, it just seems really painfully obvious that software is going to take over all of this. There's no way that this is going to stay the way it is hundred percent inevitable that this is all going to go digital and I would love to be involved with it because these are both, you know, these are brands, food and beverage brands, hospitality, restaurants, bars, cafes that, you know, are working on really thin margins and, um, and they need all the help they can get. And these are awesome brands that I absolutely love that, you know, I eat their food, I drink their drinks. Um, I, I love what they do. And if I can help support them, then I, you know, it, it's something I feel like I have a, a responsibility, a duty to do that. And so that's really how it all got going. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder. 
hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. So you launched in 2020. Can you talk us about the traction thus far? How how long did it take to build out proof of concept, validate proof of concept? Because two-sided marketplaces are not easy. No. So we, our MVP, you know, came out in January, 2020. So we immediately, the, the, in our first week, we had our first customer on. And like I said, the reason we had our first customer on is because we were doing customer research with them. And they were like, cool, this is great. I love what you're doing. Can I be your first customer? And um, so that was phenomenal. And that was, you know, we were, you know, starting to do that with other customers. And then uh, there was this headlines that were, you know, very disconcerting creeping into the news about a um a flu or a pandemic coming out of um out of china and so we really realized that we you know something this as it kind of emerged um that that we need to prepare for this and because it you know as it as it turned out it it hit um impacted hospitality quite hard and so we launched you know, Upstock when basically COVID launched. And uh, so that was extraordinarily challenging, but actually it was also, you know, again, you know, in every crisis, there's this opportunity. And so it was an opportunity both for us to really um, complete the software. So we'd had one side of the marketplace done. We'd, we'd, We'd shipped the supplier side, but we hadn't actually completed the buyer side. So it really gave us that opportunity during lockdown to to finish that up. And then um, all of a sudden, customers realize they need to go digital. They need to be be able to work remotely. They cannot be, you know, in uh, the operation in in the factory or in the in the restaurant, and they need to be able to run their businesses remotely. And so that's where digital tools actually were were essential. Um, and so, when we started the business, the the thing that really attracted to us uh, us to it was the fact that we knew that it was all going to go digital. That was obvious, and then that we had this marketplace. But this was an established marketplace. This is we didn't have to um, um, build up the marketplace. These were existing um, uh, high trust relationships. These are B two B relationships, and they are. Um, you know, under contract in most cases, they are high volume, um, high frequency ordering between the two parties. Um, and so we really had to, um, provide the tools to make that clear. That was, there was an, there was a network there that nobody really was, um, was leveraging as a network was nobody put the pieces together to, to create a network. And that's, you know, our job was to build a network around it, really. You guys got pretty good tailwind then in the end because yes. because face-to-face contact was difficult and the manualness of how people were tr- doing trade using a platform like yours obviously solved a very, very big problem. I'm surprised that not, like that, that so many people in the food and hospitality industry are still were operating this way only a few years ago. That's crazy. It is. It really is. And it's remarkable how well they recovered, and you know, we've had headwinds. Um, you know, the, our entire existence. We, you know, we came out when COVID came out, and then, you know, shortly after that was the um, the supply chain disruptions that were, you know, had a, a huge impact on on food and beverage. And then here in New Zealand, we had cyclones that were extremely disruptive to. Um, you know, regions, important regions, growing regions um, that also, you know, are big hospitality regions. And then, you know, now we're facing an economic, you know, wobbles, downturn, however you want to call it. And and it's unclear, you know, whether it's going to be short and sharp or, you know, extended and, and maybe um, significant. Right now, it seems like it's not 
terrible, but it definitely is noticeable. And so, you know, again, that that headwind actually for us is is actually um, a tailwind because these businesses have to get much more sophisticated in their efficiency. So right now they're they're really bleeding out money, bleeding out time and resources um, that are impacting their business that in the past they could, you know, kind of ignore because business was booming. But now that business is really tight, they have to sharpen up and they have to find every opportunity to reduce costs and then find opportunities to find new customers and grow their business. And so that's exactly our sweet spot in, in helping them streamline and um, make their operations automated. So that's automated ordering, automated sales, automated invoicing, production, uh, fulfillment, you know, from, from connecting all the way through logistics. And that's revolutionary for these businesses. You know, what I just did, that full end-to-end automation is something that most multinationals struggle with, and they pay many hundreds of millions of dollars to achieve that. And, and it doesn't work, uh, you know, that great because it's clunky, shitty software, quite frankly. And so we're giving this, them this really well-designed software for their exact um, business types that it, it streamlines everything for them in a way that, that nothing else could. It's, it's really awesome to see it, see it in action. And, and to see the impact it's having on our customers to be able to, you know, generally they're able to repurpose somebody, you know, that, that's uh, an employee that's doing this admin that is mindless, you know, um, busy work that, that's actually really painful for everyone involved. And so that then all of a sudden what we find is that most people are able to repurpose them as a, in a marketing role or in a sales role where they're actually able to expand the business rather than draining the business doing this, you know, tedious, um, paperwork. So I'm curious because the industry hasn't really, from what I'm hearing, uh, been using technology to its full advantage. Has it been difficult to convince people to use the product or because, or, or to see the inherent benefits and to, and to change old habits or because of COVID and the hospitality food and beverage has been affected so so much over these past few years has it been an easy conversation yeah it's a really interesting question um and definitely there is kind of a um a, a lack of understanding or a lack of uh uh visibility on the problem this they have we have to educate them that hey um what you're doing is crazy inefficient we had to do that initially. And so right now it does feel like, you know, the word is getting out and that people are recognizing it. They're seeing it in their peers. They're using our platform and they're seeing, you know, the, the impact it's had on them. So that definitely feels like we're having to do less educating than, than we did when we started out. And it definitely, certainly on the food and beverage side, we find that, um, they are, you know, running, uh, operations that are really about fulfillment and logistics. So they, they have a mindset for efficiency already to a certain degree. And they're just not aware of how inefficient, what you, they think they're running an efficient th- thing. But as soon as you point out how inefficient it actually is, that they quickly you know catch on. On the hospitality side, um, the ordering isn't necessarily some, you know, their, their top of mind first problem that they're, that they're really coping with. Generally speaking, staffing for a long time has been their top of mind burning problem that, that, um, uh, uh, getting staff and then retaining staff, the staff turnover has been really the, the, the burning issue. And so the ordering for them is like, yeah, I can order by phone. I can order, um, by text and email. And, you know, so I have 20 different suppliers and I'm ordering in 20 different ways for each supplier. What's, what's wrong with that? I, I get the goods and then they, they realize, actually, I don't get the goods. Um, they are misdelivered. They come late. They, somebody forgot to order it. And so we can't actually put an item on the menu today because it was never ordered. And so, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit more on the hospitality side for them to really um, 
understand the the ripple effects of the inefficiencies on their end um, because they're not dealing with that in the way the same way that a um, supplier is really in the the mindset of logistics um, but when you see that uh, a you know when a hospitality outfit realizes that you know, generally, if they're they're winding down at one a.m., two a.m., and then then they all of a sudden have to do ordering, you know, for for the next day, they could spend another hour, two hours in the middle of the night doing that, or they can get on an app and do it in a few minutes. And then when they when they see that, they're just like, oh yes, you know, th- those two hours are so important in the middle of the night for me, for my sanity, for my business for our efficiency. So that that's when the penny drops really. Mm, yeah, got you. And so what's been the biggest challenge, right? Like you said that a lot of uh, founders, they experience crisis and challenges all the time, ups, downs, it's difficult, it's tough with this business. Because you've been doing this for 30 years and you've seen every single facet of building a business and you've done well over your 10,000 hours, probably 30, 40, 50,000 hours at least, like, do you still, yeah, talk us through, like, what's been the biggest challenge or is it just, like, smooth sailing when you're, when you're as seasoned as you are as a founder? Hell no. No, 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 no smooth sailing. Um, you know, like it, it, it goes from feeling like, oh, we're totally dead and, um, well, this will never work to we're fucking geniuses and this is the best thing that uh, humanity has ever seen. And it, it is that kind of roller coaster of, um, you know, that, that not knowing whether, you know, you're, it's working or not, that kind of, it takes a certain amount of faith and it, you know, you get evidence in slowly and you have to know where to look for evidence. And so that's all learning and we're always kind of figuring that out. So first of all, I've never been a CEO before or, you know, like a, 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 a scale operation like this. And I've never, um, you know, worked in, I've never built a marketplace. So I have to figure all that out. I've never worked in food and beverage. I have to figure all that out. So there's, you know, these enormous learning curves that you have to go through and you, you feel like an idiot most of the time. Um, and you're not exactly wrong either. Like I, until you learn it, you are kind of an idiot about these things. And, you know, we're inventing new, you know, new ways of doing business, new, um, new revenue models, new pricing models that nobody is really familiar with necessarily. It's combinations that have never been done before. So you're, you're inventing new um, patterns that you have to figure out what are the metrics, what are the indicators that you can um, be confident that what you're doing is working. Um, and so, yeah, you, know, you, you have these really dramatic moments where you think uh, we're completely screwing it up. And then you probe it into it a little more and you're like, actually, wait, I think we're doing pretty good here. And then you realize you dig a little more and see, so you know, that you, you keep honing, you know, how you look at things and how you, uh, how you understand your customers, how you understand your business model. And, you know, you, you're constantly, um, misunderstanding you know, a lot of those things until you, you do understand it. And is this big learning process. Um, yeah, it, it's, and I, I do love it. I love that process of, of figuring it out. And, you know, it does feel we're, we're kind of, um, at this point in with Upstock where it's very, it reminds me a lot of, you know, that, that point at, at zero, I mentioned the guy in the woods, um, you know, talking to his mate, we are, we, it feels like we're well past that point actually with Upstock because, you know, we, we have a marketplace we, that, that is humming, that has, you know, great um, relationships and, and great traction between buyers and suppliers. But the, you know, the feedback to me is always the first signal. When people say, I can't live without this, like you've changed my life and I'll never be able to, you know, not use something like this again. That to me is 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 a very strong signal. But then again, you you know that that's great. But okay, can we monetize it? Can we scale it? Can we, you know, um, push it forward? And so you're you're constantly doing that, and you're constantly as you, at each point on the ladder that you're 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 climbing up, 
you have new challenges about scaling, about finding new customers, identifying, you know, different customers behave differently. The, the competitive landscape is changing. The technology landscape is changing. So, you know, I surf and it's kind of like surfing that you're, you'll never surf the same wave twice. Um, and you're always scanning the horizon, looking for, you know, the con changing conditions of the water, the swell, the wind, um, and your position where you want to, you, you don't want to be too far, uh, too deep. You don't want to be too far on the inside and you don't want to be too wide out. And so you're, you're constantly calibrating and positioning yourself. But, you know, we, we, we have extremely strong signals now that Upstock is really taking off. We were just at a, a trade show um, last week and we went in, we were at this trade show two years ago and uh, it felt really demoralizing. It was one of those moments where we're just like, ah, is this going to work? Nobody, no, nobody knows us. Nobody cares about us. We were nothing to nobody. And um, so we kind of went in bracing for that same experience, you know, two years later thinking, all right, we're going to have to really um, tell our story and get, you know, get in front of people to, to really get them to pay attention. And it was absolutely the opposite where we had people flooding into our, our booth and we had half, half the, um, building the, the you know, the, the event center was our customers more than half really. And so already, you know, we had a sense that like, all right, we're, we're definitely some people know us, but we didn't have an idea of how many. And then when we, so we would go to people's booth and they were talking to the booth next to them and say, are you on Upstock? Why aren't you on Upstock? You need to be on Upstock. And then seeing that person coming to our booth saying, look, I keep hearing about this Upstock. Tell me about it. What do I need to do? How do I sign up? Um, so it's it that that momentum and that energy um, that is, is really growing rapidly. So it, it definitely feels like at this moment, things are going really well. And then the next you know, rung up the ladder, we're going to hit a wall and we're going to have to figure out how to get around that wall. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So going to move to the hot seat round. Could talk to you all day, but just have to work towards wrapping. Uh, first question, rapid fire question answers. What is your favorite font? Uh, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't actually, I'm not that kind of designer. I'm not a fussy font guy. Um, pass. I don't care. I, you know, it depends. Depends on what the condition is or what the situation is, what the brand is. It changes. It's like fashion, you know. Who do you go to when you need advice? Uh, my wife. What don't people understand about Kiwi entrepreneurs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the thing that really struck me, so I came to the States, or uh, came from the States to New Zealand 20 plus years ago. And... You know, I was coming from Silicon Valley, coming from San Francisco, which was the digital mecca of the world. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to the backwaters here. And so this is going to be interesting. And what I was really shocked and pleasantly surprised by was how incredibly talented Kiwis are and that they don't really fully understand the, the depth of their talent and the breadth of their talent. And that really comes from being an island, you know, the advantage of being an island at the bottom of the world, that you think everyone's doing it better than you, that you're, you're, you know, inferior. And then it turns out you're overcompensating for that. And because the population's so small, you have to be a generalist. So in the US, everyone's a specialist, this hyper-specialist, you know, I only deal with CSS optimization. That is my job. And I will not talk to you or discuss anything else, you know, leave me alone unless it's that one, you know, micro thing where in New Zealand, everyone has to be a generalist and that makes everyone really incredibly capable and incredibly capable of collaborating in really powerful ways. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I you know, it's interesting because we're obviously here in Australia and there are a lot of successful Kiwi entrepreneurs for, for, for such a small place. 
with that not that big of a population yeah a lot of big companies come out of new zealand it's kind of cool um awesome what's something you've learned today uh what is something i've learned today um it's it, it's a lesson i keep learning over and over again is um to just show up you know i was nervous coming on this thing and you know and and just to have that positive like this is going to go great just show up have fun um and i have to relearn that lesson dozens of times a day last question this is my favorite if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive who would it be and why um so that george east was it george eastman or yeah it was george eastman um who invented kodak and the reason i love kodak uh it was, you know, I, I, I related to uh, what we did with Zero in a lot of ways and just in general, the purpose of design. So at the time, photography, you had to be an expert, you had to be a chemist, you had to be um, a real nerd, uh, a, a chemical nerd to be able to make a photograph. And he made all that go away. And he, the slogan, so he was a brilliant, you know, Technically brilliant, brilliant product designer, and then brilliant marketing person. Their campaign um, slogan was, you push the button, we do the rest. And it is the encapsulation of design for me. That if you think about that, that all this technology and people, and this is a mistake so many entrepreneurs in the tech world um, make they think they're technology companies, but they're really design companies. If if you're going to succeed and you're going to do well, you need to be a design company. Look at Apple. I mean, the poster child, but still, people don't understand the impact and power of design. That the technology is utterly useless if people can't use it. It's literally useless if nobody can use it. You've made something useless, and the way to make it useful and usable is through design. And so all of a sudden, any normal person can click a button and take a, po uh, take a photo. That is absolute magic. That's incredible. So uh, yeah, that, that's my entrepreneur. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, look, Phil, we'll wrap there, but congratulations on all of your success. I'm really keen to watch how far you can take Upstock and all the incredible things you're doing with that platform. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been awesome. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.